everyone and welcome to Uncovering Hamilton, a podcast where we analyze the music of the hit Broadway musical Hamilton. I'm Elizabeth and today in our third episode we'll actually be discussing not the next two songs but the next three songs of the musical. The Schuyler Sisters, Farmer Refuted, and You'll Be Back. Let's start with the Schuyler Sisters. The Schuyler Sisters are some of the most amazing, iconic characters in this musical, and we're finally here at the song where we get to meet them. Now, what I love about this song in particular is that although the Schuyler Sisters will later become close with Hamilton, with one of the sisters, Eliza, actually marrying him, we first get to see them in action without Hamilton. Interestingly enough, this song actually wasn't written chronologically. Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote two songs where the Schuyler sisters appear called Helpless and Satisfied before the Schuyler sisters. And then his director said to him, these women are awesome and I wish we could meet them sooner. I wish we could meet them before Hamilton meets them. Now, I think that was just an amazing move, and there are two things that we gain from this song, the Schuyler Sisters. For one, we get to see them in a non-romantic position. We get to see them interacting with one another, and we get to see who they are beyond this romantic bubble, if you will, that they kind of get swept up in because the musical is revolving around Hamilton. Secondly, we also get their amazing take on New York. As we'll see in this song, they really just love New York. They see it as the city where everything's happening in this crazy, amazing revolution. And this song is almost like a love letter to New York, which I think you'll understand more once we really get into the lyrics. So, let's jump right in. In this song, there are three Schuyler sisters who, from oldest to youngest, are Angelica, Eliza, and Peggy. In reality, though, there were actually five Schuyler sisters, and the two others were Cornelia and Catherine Schuyler. There were also three Schuyler brothers, John Bradstreet Schuyler, Philip Jeremiah Schuyler, and Rensselaer Schuyler. You might be thinking, that's a lot of kids, but I'll take it a step further. There were actually 15 Schuyler children total, although only the aforementioned eight survived childhood. As for their parents, they were Catherine Van Rensselaer Schuyler and Philip Schuyler. Philip Schuyler was a wealthy, influential New York landowner and military official. Unfortunately, he was also a prominent slave owner who thought that abolition was far too large of an inconvenience for slave owners. Now, before getting into the song, I do quickly want to talk about Angelica and Eliza, the two Schuyler sisters who will be most prominent to us throughout this musical. Angelica, as the oldest, kind of embodies the typical traits you would envision 
in an older sister. And certainly, being an older sister myself, I do relate with some aspects of her. She will never be satisfied. And that's essentially her main message and theme throughout this musical. In that sense, you might also be thinking, oh, she's kind of similar to Hamilton. And that's exactly right. The two of them actually are soulmates. And Angelica develops an affinity for Hamilton before Eliza actually does. And it's a bit of a heartbreaking story that we'll hear in a later song called Satisfied. But basically what you should take away is Angelica is ambitious, motivated. She's also well-read, as we'll see in this song. And almost for those reasons, and as supported by those reasons, she is someone who just will never be satisfied. Now, Eliza is not necessarily a foil character for Angelica, but she's certainly different. Eliza is someone who, for all her life, has tried to be satisfied with what she has. And one of her main themes in this musical is look around, look around at how lucky we are to be alive right now. It's about appreciating what she has and being content with her life. Later on, we'll see conflicts arise because Eliza is telling Hamilton to stay with her and to stay with their family and spend time with them. Whereas Hamilton is constantly motivated by his work for the federal government and for this new country that he is playing such a crucial role in nurturing. All right. Now that we've covered that, let's get into the song itself. Now, as with many of the songs in Hamilton, Burr narrates the Schuyler sisters, and he starts by saying, There's nothing rich folks love more than going downtown and slumming it with the poor. They pull up in their carriages and gawk at the students in the common just to watch them talk. Slumming it with the poor basically meant that the elites and middle-class citizens would go to urban slums and just observe the poor in what was, quote-unquote, their natural habitat. And interestingly, this still exists today on a number of levels. In addition to slum tourism, um, people stay at, quote-unquote, authentic shanty towns and favelas and they even experience the life of the homeless now after burr kind of narrates and sets the scene which is that angelica eliza and peggy have snuck into the city without telling their father to watch people at work we are first introduced to angelica Angelica will quickly become the driving force behind this whole song. She especially lies in contrast to Peggy, who introduces herself last and is the youngest sibling here. In fact, shortly thereafter, Peggy says a few lines that do show 
that she is this cherished baby of the family. She says, Daddy said to be home by sundown. And she also says, it's bad enough Daddy wants to go to war. And it's bad enough there will be violence on our shore. Basically, Peggy is clearly nervous about being out and about without having told their father. And it does show that as opposed to Angelica and Eliza, who are saying things like, you're free to go and daddy doesn't need to know. She's just nervous about this. And it's just the side of her personality that it's coming across in this song. For Angelica and Eliza, though, this is so exciting for them. They're here in New York where the revolution has its heart and they're seeing all these men at work and there's great productive energy and they're just amazed and they're like feeling this revolutionary fervor, which we also heard in last week's episode with My Shot and the story of tonight. Now, we return back to the plot, and Burr is here interacting with Angelica Schuyler and trying to basically woo her. One notable line he has is when he says, Ah, so you've discussed me. I'm a trust fund baby. You can trust me. Essentially, the reason he brings up money is women during this time period were expected to marry rich. Burr recognizes this, and he flaunts his money to impress Angelica, although it's ironic that later Burr incurs such a large debt that his second wife, who's the wealthy widow Eliza Jemmel, will leave him four months after they get married. There's also a humorous wordplay here. The line is supposed to be, I'm a trust fund baby, comma, you can trust me, with Burr being the trust fund baby. However, this line is sung with the comma almost after the word fund, so that it's I'm a trust fund, comma, baby, comma, with the baby referring to Angelica. Now, Angelica brushes him off being the feminist of the time that she is, and she says, I've been reading Common Sense by Thomas Paine, so men say that I'm intense or I'm insane. Common Sense by Thomas Paine was a political pamphlet written by the immigrant and tax collector Paine, and this work was key to inspiring revolutionary fervor among common people. Actually, in U.S. history, No percentage of the population has ever read a book as much as common sense was read. So one thing we do have to consider is that Angelica is a woman. And it's because of this that the fact that she was concerned with politics and reading common sense was abnormal. Of course, there is another side to this, which is that Angelica, although she was a woman, was also wealthy which meant that she was able to read common sense, although she wasn't able to project her opinions by voting, by contributing to politics, or any of those activities that 
the men would typically partake in. Next, Angelica says the following. You want a revolution? I want a revelation. So listen to my declaration. And then joining with Eliza and Peggy, they say, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. These lines are quoted straight from the Declaration of Independence, which was written by Thomas Jefferson. They're essentially criticizing society's androcentric interpretation of these lines. Interestingly, these lines are also included in the Declaration of Rights and Sentiments from the Seneca Falls Convention of 1848, where there were many feminists advocating for women's rights. They included a line in their declaration saying that all men and women are created equal. Similarly, after Jefferson helped Lafayette write the Declaration of the Rights of Man and the Citizen, which was the equivalent of the Declaration of Independence in France, women in France would eventually write their own counterpoint of that document, which was called the Declaration of the Rights of Women and the Female Citizen. final thing I want to point out from this song is a line that Eliza will have shortly after Angelica's encounter with Burr. She says, look around, look around at how lucky we are to be alive right now. I mentioned earlier that this is Eliza's theme and it really is. What she's essentially saying is what's there not to love about the situation they're in right now. They're here in New York where the revolution's imminent and they're experiencing these hardworking men and they're basically part of this revolutionary excitement and fervor. They're part of the change that's happening in the world that they've lived in. And Eliza is so grateful and excited for that. The main takeaway from this song, the Schuyler sisters are absolute icons. After the break, we'll discuss the next song in Hamilton, Farmer Refuted. But first, I want to direct your attention to the collection of Hamilton-related jokes, puns, and memes that I'm carefully curating. You can find this top-notch collection on my website, elizabethchun.com, under the Special Projects tab. Each time I release a new episode of this podcast, I'll add three more items to the collection so that you can always have a Hamilton-inspired laugh. Now, let's dive into Farmer Refuted. Basically, this song is a banter between a character named Samuel Seabury and Hamilton himself. Seabury is a loyalist who's very much against the revolution, and here he is singing about it. Seabury was actually the first American Episcopal bishop, 
and the second presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church in the United States of America. He was a leading loyalist in New York City during the American Revolution and a known rival of Hamilton. So it's very fitting that they have this song together. In Farmer Refuted, Seabury is essentially reading an open letter to the farmers and inhabitants of North America called Free Thoughts on the Proceedings of the Continental Congress. This was printed in 1774 as a protest towards the rising revolution. One of the most striking things to me about this song is that Seabury is accompanied by a twinkling harpsichord, which is essentially an ancient version of our modern piano. Musically, the harpsichord in the late 18th century suggests a stubborn resistance to change and modern culture, which is very fitting given that Seabury is someone who wants to hold on to the status quo, doesn't want this revolution to happen, doesn't want to break away from Great Britain. All right, so let's get started with these lyrics. We open with Seabury talking. He says, hear ye, hear ye, my name is Samuel Seabury, and I present free thoughts on the proceedings of the Continental Congress. And essentially what he says in his first paragraph or so is well summed up by a line from this open letter. The American colonies are unhappily involved in a scene of confusion and discord. He also says lines such as, chaos and bloodshed are not the solution. This Congress does not speak for me and I pray the king shows you his mercy. And then we get to see people's responses. Hercules Mulligan says, Oh my God, tear this dude apart. Whereas Aaron Burr says, Let him be. Of course, this is in perfect line with Burr's theme of talk less, smile more. Don't let them know what you're against or what they're for. But no one's response is as great as Hamilton's. Hamilton hears Seabury speak and he almost loses it. He starts singing with Seabury. And what we get is this amazing conglomeration of their voices and what they're saying and their messages all coming together in what is actually an epic song. Lin-Manuel Miranda says, to me, that is the dialogue happening right now of the sound of the revolution, these protests that are happening. That's the sound of change. That's the sound of a country reckoning with what kind of country it wants to be. And that hits in a different way than it did in 2015 when we hear those lyrics now in 2020. I mean, Hamilton has a line right after where he says, He'd have you all unravel at the sounds of screams, but the revolution is coming. And especially in light of Black Lives Matter protests and the social injustices we see today, 
as well as just the number of people who are taking to the streets and really fighting for change from the bottom up. These lyrics really, to me, just seem so relevant. Hamilton also says, chaos and bloodshed already haunt us. Honestly, you shouldn't even talk, and what about Boston? This is a reference to the Boston Massacre of 1770 and to the Boston Tea Party of 1773. That happened nine months before Seabury's pamphlet and also led to the subsequent intolerable acts by Britain. Many delegates at the Continental Congresses at first wanted to conciliate with the British Parliament, but after the passage of the Intolerable Acts, which placed taxes on the Americans as like never before, that really served as the boiling point. And after that, the Congress voted to retaliate rather than reconcile. Now, I want to fast forward to almost the end of the song, where we get one of the most clever lines in this musical from Hamilton. He says, Don't modulate the key, then not debate with me. Here, he breaks the fourth wall and makes this reference to what just happened in the instrumentation at the beginning of the third verse, which is that the music actually modulated up a half step. Hamilton then says, Why should a tiny island across the sea regulate the price of tea? This refers to the Tea Act passed in 1773, while it also references a section from Thomas Paine's Common Sense, where he says, Small islands not capable of protecting themselves are the proper objects for kingdoms to take under their care. But there is something very absurd in supposing a continent to be perpetually governed by an island. In no other instance hath nature made the satellite larger than its primary planet. And as England and America, with respect to each other, reverses the common order of nature, it is evident they belong to different systems. England to Europe, America to itself. The song ends with the ensemble saying, Silence! A message from the king, a message from the king, a message from the king. Clearly, if there is some message from the king, and in just a moment, we'll see what that's all about. We'll start You'll Be Back very shortly, but really quickly, I just want to say... I highly, highly encourage you to listen to Farmer Refuted. This song is a genius, and the excitement of it comes from the counterpoint and banter that we get from Seabury and Hamilton singing simultaneously. They overlap and they weave in and out of each other's melodies, and sometimes there are word plays that are so funny yet so well written and it's one of those things where you listen and you're like 
wow, how did somebody write this? And especially during difficult slash bland times like now, we all just need that excitement in our lives. All right, so now let's dive into You'll Be Back, which is sung by George III, who was the king of Great Britain at the time. I have a few things I want to point out before we get started, and then we will get right into the lyrics. So the first is that all of King George's songs in this musical are solos, and that shows the difference between a monarchy and a democratic republic. The new U.S. government was basically created so that one soloist or one leader wouldn't steal the show or more literally take over and become a dictator. This song, You'll Be Back, really underscores the fact that King George was this lone leader, this absolute monarch, this vocalist who went against the Congress, or in this case, the chorus. The second thing is that King George is the only large character in this musical who is white in the original production. While a lot of mainstream, typical stories will create a white character amongst people of color in order to get the largely white audience to identify with them, Hamilton flips this expectation on its head. Hamilton is about rewriting history, writing our own history, creating the history that our white racist founding fathers couldn't give us. And King George is the one character that clearly stands in contrast to this message and almost like prevents this message from happening. Okay, so King George's first lines in this song are, you say, the price of my love's not a price that you're willing to pay. Here, he's making a sly reference to the idea of taxation without representation, which as we've talked about, was one of the main grievances that the Americans put forth to the British. King George talks more about how he can be the man for the colonists and how, despite their anger right now, Britain and the colonies are meant to be together. In the chorus, he says, You'll be back. Soon you'll see. You'll remember you belong to me. You'll be back time will tell. You'll remember that I served you well. Oceans rise, empires fall. We have seen each other through it all. And when push comes to shove, I will send a fully armed battalion to remind you of my love. Essentially, what he's saying is, I'm not worried. You'll be back. It's as simple as that. He says, it's harder than you think to run a new nation. Do you think it's something that I just learned to do overnight? 
essentially King George doesn't really believe in the colonies. I mean, keep in mind that Britain was the greatest naval power at the time, this global superpower, and the colonies were just part of Britain's mercantilist system. Another interesting part of this course is when King George says, I will send a fully armed battalion to remind you of my love. This line gets huge laughs and with good reason. King George threatens to send a fully armed battalion, but this is in stark contrast to the romantic sentiments that follow his violent statement. It's this image of the king as both someone who's fighting against the U.S. in the revolution and an estranged lover of sorts who's trying to regain affection. Now, what's key to take away from this song is that it's structured like a love song. (laughs) So one line that stands out to me is when King George says, and no, don't change the subject because you're my favorite subject. Of course, there's also a play on words going on here. He says subject, meaning both topic and one under authority. Another line he has is when he says, I will fight the fight and win the war. He talks about this as if he's fighting for love. But of course, we know that he's also fighting for domination against and over the colonies. To wrap up, I just want to point out one line that I find funny towards the end of the song. King George says, when you're gone, I'll go mad. And pertaining to that line, Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote that there are nerds who laugh when King George says that because they know King George went literally mad. He is reported to have had episodes of despondency, convulsions, and incessant rambling. He would sometimes talk so much and for so long that he would foam at the mouth. When it comes to You'll Be Back, the final thing I just want to say is, if you can, I would highly encourage that you watch the song on Disney+. Plus. Although really, I would recommend that you watch the musical on Disney+. Plus. Jonathan Groff just does an amazing job as King George III with his sarcasm and his sass and all the funny lines that I've pointed out during this episode, Groff really brings to life. There's even a part where there is a close-up of him and he literally spits a little and it is so funny to me because it's like he's foaming at the mouth. Also though, in all seriousness, You'll Be Back shows just how drastic of a status quo change the patriots are trying to accomplish. I mean, monarchy has been around forever and 
even for King George, who's now going to have to prepare Britain to fight, he's, this idea is almost a joke to him. I mean, he's goofing around in this song. It's, he's treating it like a love song. And he says so blatantly, oh, you'll be back. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Changing the status quo is never easy. It's always an uphill battle, and there are almost always more people against you than there are with you. And I think You'll Be Back shows this so well.